Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we approach your throne right now and as we recognize your presence here in this place lord would you just be with us lord would your voice speak through the noise of life and into the depths of our heart lord would you would you still us on the inside so that we can focus in on your still small voice jesus name amen you guys can be seated Anxiety is defined as a state of nervousness, typically about something with an uncertain outcome. It is a state of nervousness inside. It's a feeling inside that is caused by troubling circumstances on the outside. Anxiety is that feeling you get when you just don't know what's going to happen. But anxiety can kind of serve you in a good way. Anxiety is that feeling that you feel when you, are, are, you have a big test coming up or a big project. And that feeling of anxiety or nervousness can push you into the direction of being prepared and studying. Or anxiety can be a good thing when you have a crush on someone and that feeling of anxiety for once causes you to think about what you're saying or anxiety is that feeling that as you're driving and that thought comes in your head like whoa I can just turn the steering wheel as hard as I can and go to a tree and anxiety is what keeps you from doing that it's something very easy but anxiety gets in the way the problem with anxiety is when that feeling of worry or fear or nervousness causes you to stay away from things that are beneficial to you rather than harmful. That feeling of anxiety can come up when you're applying for a job, maybe, that you are actually qualified to do, but your anxiety causes you to think less of yourself. Or that feeling of anxiety comes up when you're stepping out in faith to share Jesus with a friend of yours, but anxiety tells you that you won't know any of the questions if they ask. Or anxiety comes up when, when you are thinking that, that you are loved by God and then that feeling comes up and says, there's no way that I am lovable. The danger in life is when we listen to the voice of anxiety over the voice of Jesus. Now, to ins- in order to ensure that we don't do that, we need to turn down the volume of anxiety and turn up the volume of the voice of God. That's what we talked about last week. As we get rid of our junk food thoughts and replace those with nutritious thoughts, we set our mind on things above. We take every thought captive and align it to the will of Christ. And in that, we are doing what 
Philippians, what Paul says in Philippians when he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind. See, the kind of the opposite, if you will, of anxiety is this idea of peace. Now, peace is defined generally by the Webster's Dictionary as a state of tranquility or quiet that is in response to a peaceful atmosphere around us. So the most often or most common definition of peace is kind of the equal opposite of anxiety. Anxiety is hectic things are going on outwardly, and so craziness is happening inwardly. And this kind of common definition of peace is that once the, everything outwardly comes to stop, then inwardly we can receive peace. That's most often the way we use it in the context of maybe a war. The war ended, now there is peace. Or my parents were fighting and they stopped and now there is peace. Or I was running around all day at school and doing homework and going here and there and then I get home and my room is clean and I turn my music on and there is peace. We often view peace as the equal opposite to anxiety. It's crazy outside, it's crazy inside. Peace is it's still outside, so it ought to be still inside. But I think the problem is that when we view peace this way, it actually causes us, in in light of the promise that is in Philippians chapter 4, be anxious for nothing, but the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will come. When we view peace as an equal but opposite thing to anxiety, meaning if it's peaceful outside, it's peaceful inside, and we're viewing or we're desiring the peace of God to come, it can actually shape a skewed view of who God is. John Lennon, in a conversation with a trauma therapist, learned an interesting idea. John Lennon is one of the members of the Beatles, if you guys didn't know. The Beatles were a band in the 1960s. You guys know who the Beatles are? You know it stands for beat, B-E-A, like beat, like a drum beat. Okay, John Lennon talking to his doctor. And the doctor said that in his experience, this therapist, in his experience, when people are walking through difficulties in life, such as trauma or loss or troubling times, those people often tend to cling to, this is his words, not mine, the idea of God. When people are going through troubling times, they often cling to the idea of God. Because of their own difficulty or lack of ability, the idea of a God that can help and supply their needs is very desirable. But he also followed that and said that it's often when the difficulty's gone away, when life has kind of stabled out, the problem has gone away, people then ditch the idea of God because with their problems no longer there, they are convinced that they can handle their life on their own. John Lennon went on to write a song titled God where he uh, adds these kind of, uh, these lyrics kind of stress me out. God is a concept in which we measure our pain. 
Now, I think I could go on for like a whole series about how I disagree with just about every single word from both John Lennon and his therapist. And I think all of us, it's like, no, God's not just a concept that we measure our pain. He's not just someone that gives us whatever, but we live like those words are true, don't we? We run to God when we need him, but as soon as we don't need him anymore, we kind of ditch him. That's what is true of the Israelites all throughout the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, there's a cycle that continues to happen. They would be at peace under God's protection. In the time of peace, they would forget about God and his statues and begin to follow their own desires. That would cause them to be captive to their desires and lead them into captivity with surrounding nations. They would be oppressed by their captors enough to remember their need for God. Then they would cry out, God, help. God would raise up a judge and deliver them from captivity and back into safety, protection, and peace. But in the time of peace, they would forget about God and his statutes and begin to follow their own desires. And the cycle would repeat. And if I can be completely honest, I have those same tendencies Life is really difficult. I walk through a difficult season of life where we're captive to our sins or fears or our circumstances and we cling to God. We say, God, where are you? Help! Lord, would you intervene? He pulls us from the pit and he sets our feet on the rock and then in the time of peace, we forget about God where we at least slow down in running into his arms. We no longer recognize our desperate need for God and his presence in our life. Then I would hope at least, like the Israelites, that the cycle would repeat. But oftentimes it doesn't. I've seen people walk through a difficult season of life. God provides for them. God gives them peace. God gives them everything they need. And then they say, thanks, God. And I don't see them anymore. They're not around youth. They're not walking with Jesus. They forget about God altogether in the time of peace. That's why at the end of Psalm 23, it's, it's so important what David writes. The psalmist writes, um, after all the things that God has done for him, he's provided protection, food, rest, safety, and peace in the middle of difficulty. But he ends the psalm with these words, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This idea that David says is two things. One, it's a realization. What David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, is first a realization. He is recognizing that he has access to God at all times. And earlier in, in the chapter that we read, he says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And at the end, he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is this reality that God seeks us out through difficulty. And we also have access to him in the safety. So it's a realization that he has access to God at all times. And secondly, it's a response. It's a realization and it's a response. In light of the reality that David has access to God, he, he makes a pledge he makes like a decree. He makes a commitment. He says, because of what you've done, essentially, I will dwell in your house forever. David makes a commitment. 
He says, you have brought me through the valley of the shadow of death. You've prepared this meal for me in the presence of my enemies. And in response to that, even though life is easy, I promise you, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be in your house all the days of my life. It's the same kind of declaration that he makes in Psalm chapter 27. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though uh, the war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. He says this, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, an incomplete view of the peace of God is that it is an equal but opposite to anxiety. It's an incomplete view. If we think that the promise of God's peace is that outwardly your situations are going to kind of calm down and so in response you will feel peace inwardly. That's not what God is talking about. That's not what he promises. A more accurate idea of peace can be found here in John chapter 14. When Jesus says, uh, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus specifically here in this text, he is using the word peace kind of as a nickname for the Holy Spirit. Just in the section earlier, he talks about how he is going to ascend to heaven and the Holy Spirit is going to come down. And in the same breath of talking about the Holy Spirit come down, he says, peace I am leaving with you. My peace. In other words, the Holy Spirit I'm leaving with you. My spirit. Not as the world gives you, I give. Not the peace that the world gives. I give a different kind of peace. Because my peace is not an absence of problems, but my peace is the presence of a person. My peace is not that all of your problems are going to go away, but my, my promise, my peace, is that in, in spite of your problems, you will find peace. Because if we follow that train of thought, absence of problems, that is peace, then when Jesus says, in the world you will have persecution, following me there will be trials and tribulations. And then on the other end, he says, follow me and you'll have peace. Those things don't add up if we say, without problems, that's peace. Jesus is making a different declaration, that peace is his presence. Now, when we view peace or we view God's promise as this kind of peace, then it shifts our view of who God is. If we view God as some kind of cosmic problem solver, that we just, we wish and we pray and we hope, Lord, would you take this problem away, then what if he does? Then we don't need him anymore, right? But it's not like we, we stand by a vending machine all the time that a vending machine is going to supply our needs. No. A vending machine only goes, oh, there's a vending machine. I think I have a crinkled up dollar bill. We boom, we go, we move, and we forget about it. We don't have a relationship with a vending machine. 
oftentimes we view God as a vending machine. Lord, would you just solve all my problems? Please? And then we either forget that our problems were that big of a deal to us and we kind of move on, or God does, and then we have no more problems, so we think we don't need God anymore. God isn't just a vending machine that we put in our desires through prayer and then we patiently wait and wish for him to give us what we ask for. He's a person to be known, a heavenly father that cares for us. And we don't just receive little gifts from him. We only received one gift, and that's his presence. And so we don't ask God, Lord, would you give me this? And Lord, would you give me that? He says, I'm giving you my fullness. I'm giving you my presence. And in my presence, you will be made whole. The biblical definition of peace, the most often used word for peace in Hebrew is the word shalom. What this word means is wholeness or soundness or completion. Or one definition just says content with its earthly lot. Just a deep contentment in life no matter what you have, no matter what your lot is. And Jesus is promising that his peace is going to be poured out and that we can be content not in our problems being solved, but in his presence. So then, how do we kind of shift our view from, from viewing God as some sort of magical vending machine where it's like, Lord, would you please bless this? And Okay, he blessed it, great. Uh, I think I'm good. I don't need anything. I'll, you know, maybe in a couple years, you know, maybe when I'm well, looking for a wife or something, then I'll come back and ask for, like, we want to shift our view, not just viewing God as giving us everything we ask for, but a person to be known and to engage in relationship, whether life is easy or life is hard. I think most of us have experienced difficulties in our life. Most of us have walked through some sort of trial, or I don't know if anyone would use the word tribulation or persecution, but we've gone through difficulty. We all have our own valley of the shadow of death, if you will, where we feel like we're just trugging through darkness alone. And oftentimes, in those moments, we run to God. And many of us, if not all of us, have found satisfaction in God in those moments. But how do we decide to dwell in his house forever when there's not difficulty pushing us into his direction? For me, that's kind of a scary thought. I've dealt with anxiety and and kind of depression and insecurity and all of those things for my entire life. And those feelings, those difficulties, have pushed me to the presence of God over and over and over again. And I want God to, like, take them away, but I'm also terrified that he does. Because what if I really don't have anything pushing me into his presence? Then what? We need to be prepared for when life is easy. Because let me tell you, sometimes life's easy. Sometimes life is great. Sometimes you you are satisfied with the decisions that you've made for your future. You you move into a a period of life where you have friends and and family is satisfying and school is satisfying and life is good. How do we walk with Jesus in those times? We need to choose him over our circumstances. That's 
kind of what Paul is talking about here in Galatians chapter 5 when he says this. This is about to get crazy intense with the language, all right? You guys ready? It says, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Paul is writing to this this Galatian church earlier in the book. He says, have you begun in the Spirit, but you are now being made perfect in the flesh? And he's talking about the fulfilling work of Jesus on the cross that they believed in, but now they think that their own works can kind of make them more holy. But I think we can apply that to difficult seasons of our life. Has God, to use the language of David in the Psalms, has God pulled you up from the miry clay to set your feet on the rock so that you can kind of live your own life apart from God? Certainly not. God has not delivered you so that you can now say, thanks God, see you later, I'm on for my my own life. I can do it now, I can take it from here, thank you. But Paul is saying that we need to crucify our flesh and walk in the Spirit, meaning we need to choose Jesus over our circumstances. What Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 9 when he says, if anyone desires to come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus kind of one-ups Paul here. Paul says, crucify your flesh and walk in the Spirit. Jesus says, put your flesh on the cross every single day and follow after me. If I could, I think I'm going to one-up Jesus a little bit. Jesus says daily, I think it needs to be more often. I think it needs to be just about every single moment. We need to set ourselves aside and choose Jesus. We need to crucify our own desires and choose Jesus. Because Jesus' presence is the peace that we're longing for. The presence of God is what we need. It's not something that God provides. It's who God is. See, we don't need God to to give us things. We just need to be near him. Now, I'm going to give you three things that we need to specifically crucify and walk in to build a lifestyle of relying on Jesus over circumstances. Is that all right? And then we'll close. We need to crucify dissatisfaction and walk in delight. Crucify dissatisfaction and walk in delight. Sebastian, are you mimicking my hands right now? You are, dude. I love it. We need to crucify dissatisfaction and walk in delight. I think we kind of constantly live with a perpetual need for new. I think often kind of our our gripes with, with God, if I can speak into this, is that we want God to like give us something brand new. Like maybe it's new direction or maybe it's new like kind of view of this or we're asking God to, you know, take this and, and give us something new and we're, we're, we're longing and we're kind of always dissatisfied in the right now because we're longing for God to give us something new. And I think a, a key principle of a follower of Jesus is, is to learn how, de, how to delight in the right now. How to delight in what is happening 
right now in your life? How can you crucify dissatisfaction and walk in delight at your school or in your home with your family or in your friend group? How can you be delighting in those things that God has given us? David, at the beginning of the psalm, he says that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He says he makes me lie down in green pastures. So often we are walking through green pastures and we forget to lie down. God needs to make us. Because we kind of don't know how to delight, how to delight. We keep thinking that the shepherd's going to bring us to something else. Well, it's right here. God is providing for you. God is with you. God is close. We need to crucify dissatisfaction and walk in delight. Secondly, has this been helpful so far? Awesome. We need to crucify comfort and walk in calling. Crucify comfort and walk in calling. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus gives this beautiful invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is not talking about eggs here. It's yolk, okay? He, yoke, this term that Jesus is using, it's like an agricultural, agricultural term. It's, uh, the, a yoke would go around a beast of burden's neck and it would attach them to you know, the cart or whatever that would plow the fields and get it ready for planting. And th- this idea of yoke, it's a work idea. Jesus kind of says this interesting thing. He says, he says, come to me all who labor, all who work, and are overwhelmed by their work, and I will give you rest. And then he says, my yoke or my work is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus here is talking about an exchange. We come with our burdens and lay them at Jesus' feet, and he actually gives us a new burden. I think often we view coming to God as like we come, you know, uh, Peter writes, he says, cast all your cares upon God for he cares for you. And that is very true that we can bring all of, all of our stresses, all of our worries, all of our anxieties, all of our burdens, and we can lay them onto Jesus. But he promises an exchange. He says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That we give him our burdens, he gives us a new burden. Meaning that we now, when we come to Jesus, he now gives us his work for his kingdom. That we now have a role to play. And I think sometimes in the easiness of life, when life is good, when life is easy, we sit back comfortably when we are called to participate in the work of Jesus. God has called you to do his work wherever you are. That you are called and you are chosen. God has a plan for your life and a purpose for your life in your current situations. We bring our burdens, but God gives us a new one. That we are now burdened with the things of God to see his kingdom come here and now. Third thing, worship team, you guys can come up. We need to crucify feelings and walk in faithfulness. Crucify feelings 
and walk in faithfulness. Did you know that your feelings don't have the power to determine whether or not God is close to you or far away? Did you know that? The way you feel doesn't draw God closer or further away. I think oftentimes we talk about, man, I just felt so close to God. That's fine. It's a fine thing to say. I don't hate that thing to say. But it's not true. Just because your tummy was kind of moving around, because the pads came on, it, like the pads don't bring us closer to God. Sorry, pads. The, the way we feel does not bring us closer to God. And also the way that we feel, oh, I feel like God's far away. I feel like God's distant. I feel like it's just not true. Your feelings don't have that kind of power. They just don't. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5, it's the, it's the phrase that is just before Paul's famous words, be anxious for nothing. Philippians 4 verse 5, he says, in the NIV it says, the Lord is near. It's a truth. If you read it in its entirety, the Lord is near, be anxious for nothing. The, the presence of God is there, is close, whether we feel like he's close or not, we need to then make the decision to choose Jesus. I think oftentimes when God is meeting us in the valley of the shadow of death, we recognize his nearness. I, I, had, I was weak, and somehow God gave me strength. I was anxious, and somehow... God provided me peace, and it's, it's almost tangible. We can feel his presence, but when life is easy, man, it kind of feels like God's far away. It kind of feels like I'm kind of doing things on my own. And then we kind of worry ourselves back into the anxiousness. <laughs> and then we meet God again. And then we can, we're like, man, when life is hard, God's close, but when, it, when it's easy, he's not. The reality is, is the Lord is near. The Lord is near here right now, equal as much as he is in the morning on your drive to school. God is, is in the room when, when we are in the middle of a, of a worship set and everything is going and life is just great. And it's just, woo! And God is there as you're getting ready for bed, brushing your teeth. It's a decision that we need to make to recognize his nearness. We need to crucify feelings. My feelings don't have the power to determine if God's going to be with me or if, they're going, if God's going to be far away. The Lord is near. I'm going to choose to walk in faithfulness. I'm going to choose whether I feel like I need him or I don't need him. I'm going to recognize that I probably need him. And he's there. And I'm going to make the commitment to dwell in his house forever. There's only one thing that I ask. There's only one thing I will seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty and to inquire in his temple. I just want to be close. I just want to see him. I just want to learn about him. Whether I feel like I need him or not, I, I need him. Last Saturday night at our Saturday night service here at church, we, we kind of end the nights like this with uh, 
extended worship and we kind of open, um, open it up for if anyone in the congregation, any of the people want to stand up, maybe share a Bible verse or pray or an encouragement. And there was a man who stood up. He was in his, he's in his 80s. He actually was the pastor of this church, this building, before our church bought it. He's been walking with Jesus for ages. He's really old. He stood up and just said this, I want Jesus more and more. I want Jesus more than I ever have before. So I give myself wholly to his love. How on earth does an 80-something-year-old man who's seen God probably do incredible things, stand up. He's leaning on the chair in front of him and say, I want Jesus right now more than I ever have any other day in my life. How do we get to that point? Well, I believe that that man crucified his flesh and he walked with Jesus. He decided when he was young to dwell in Jesus' house forever. He daily picked up his cross. He walked with the yoke of Christ around his neck. He doesn't allow his feelings to determine if God is close, but he has faith that God is near, and he chooses faithfulness to his nearness, whether life is hard and is pushing him in the direction of God, or if life is easy, his needs are met, he decides to push himself into God's presence. That's what I want to do. And I, I want to be here right now, tonight, I don't even know the date, May 25th, and tell all of you guys, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's it. That is my only desire. One thing I ask. And so what am I going to do about it? Well, I'm going to crucify my flesh and I'm going to walk in his spirit. I'm going to say no to me and I'm going to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to say no to me when life is hard. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. When life is easy, when I feel like he's far away, I'm going to say no to me. And I'm going to say yes to Jesus. 